This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Please take your Bibles and let's turn to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 5. This morning, by the grace of God, we want to continue to work through the Sermon on the Mount in a series entitled, Mountaintop Living. Let me ask you a question today. Do people irritate you? By your response, I take that as a yes. But for some of you sanctimonious saints who are looking at me like, let me just ask you a few questions this morning. What do you think about somebody who pulls in the parking lot You got there first. In fact, your blinker is on. The parking lot's full, but there's that empty spot. Your blinker is going. They pull up, but they get the advantage, and they pull in front of you. Does that irritate you? Oh, and by the way, as they're pulling in, you see they're also on their phone. They didn't even see you. How about this? The contractor who promised to meet you at your place at a specific time, and he doesn't show up at all. And, and oh, by the way, he made you late for the appointment that you needed to be at. How do you handle having to listen to somebody else's phone conversation on a cell phone? And, and, and you and the 20 other people that are around, you're watching and listening They're oblivious. They think they're out on a country hill somewhere and there's nobody around. Does that irritate you? Let's go back to the parking lot. You go to pull into that one nice spot right up front, and wouldn't you know it? Somebody left a Walmart cart right in the middle of that spot. Too lazy to put it away. All right, you're with me. Good, good. How about this one? Someone who needs to blow their nose but won't. (laughs) People who cut in line. People who let their phone keep ringing in a church service. Okay, people irritate us. Let me ask you this question. Do you think you ever irritate people? Some of you are doing this, and we will have an invitation, okay? (laughs) We all irritate people. Like the husband that kept complaining about his wife's decisions, and finally she just looked at him and said, Honey, just remember, you're one of them. I like what the poet quipped, to live above with those we love, oh, that will be glory. To live below with those we know, well, that's a different story. All right, people can irritate us. 
What is so sad is how the things that I mentioned earlier can quickly turn to disgust and even hate in the heart of a Christian. Let's be honest. How do you respond to those election commercials? Okay. So in today's text on the Sermon on the Mount, or in the Sermon on the Mount, we need to see how seriously God takes our innermost opinions and our attitudes about others. Especially when those attitudes turn to disgust, and let's be honest, and hate. Kingdom citizens are to be very careful about their temperament towards earth citizens and also fellow believers. Jesus is warning those who have believed on Him, those who are salt and light, right here in the context. He's speaking in the text that we're going to read in just a moment. He, he speaks and He mentions the word brother. It's used three times just in the short paragraph that we'll look at. And the Lord teaches that hate is never to be tolerated in our hearts. We expect it in the world. But God says it should never be in the heart of a kingdom citizen. So we're in chapter 5. Look down now, please, at verse 21. Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly. Whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence, out of the prison, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Now that was a set of Combined thought, as our Lord taught on that hillside, on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, on the seashore. Lord, we ask that you'll teach us now. There is such vital truth here for kingdom saints. Father, I pray that you would work through this weak vessel. And Lord, help us to be willing to examine our own hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, this text is talking to believers. I've entitled the message, Jesus' Warnings, listen carefully, Jesus' Warnings to Heaven's Haters. Do you know that you can be a child of God and be a hater? You can be a citizen of the kingdom and be a hater. And by the way, the hating can become so much a part of what we do that we're not even aware that we're doing it, which is why I believe the Lord gave us this teaching. Now in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus focused on the righteous living that distinguished kingdom citizens from earth citizens. So in the Beatitudes, He taught how to be supremely happy 
by having a contrite heart that pleases Him and that is willing to give mercy and spiritual guidance to others. He taught us to be salt and light to earth citizens who are still in darkness. He taught us to take seriously all that God has spoken right down to the smallest letter and the phonetic markings in Scripture. Jesus didn't come to annul the law or loosen it down. Instead, He came to complete its meaning. So in the remainder of this chapter, the king is going to take six important laws from the Old Testament and interpret them in the complete way that he intended. So he's going to mention things like murder and adultery. But he's going to say, you've read, this is what the law says, but I say unto you, and again, he gave us the law to begin with, so if he wants to expand on it or help us understand it, complete it more, he's, he's able to do that. It's his law. And so he's going to do that to give us a full understanding. Outward actions aren't the only thing that matter. Sins can be committed in the heart and mind without outward action. It's true. Now the first sin that Jesus addresses is murder, and he shows that sinful anger is murder in the heart. Now let that just settle in. Sinful anger is murder in the heart. Look at chapter 5, verse 21. Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time. Okay, them, he's speaking about, literally that's the old ones, your forefathers of earlier generations. And if you go back and look at the text where this is spoken, where it addresses this whole matter of murder, you're going to find God in Genesis chapter 9 speaking to Noah. They get off the ark and he says, If somebody sheds innocent blood by man, his blood should be shed. Okay, well, who, who gave us, who did God use, the human author of Genesis? It was Moses. And then consider this text. Or, or what else is said in the next phrase? Ye have heard that it was said of them of old, Thou shalt not kill. That's the word for murder. And whosoever shall kill or murder shall be in danger of the judgment. Now, this law is quoted, Jesus is quoting or referring back to Exodus 20 and verse 13. And repeated again in Deuteronomy 5.17. And the gist of those passages is this, murder will be judged. What is the judgment? Well, let's, let's consider Exodus 21, verse 12. He that smites a man, so that he die, shall be surely put to death. The Bible does teach capital punishment. Go to verse 14. If a man come presumptuously, and the idea there is with premeditation, upon his neighbor to slay him with guile, is the word deceit. It takes our minds back to Cain. Remember what Cain did to his brother Abel? He, he said things to bring Abel out into the field. 
thinking that they were going to have a discussion. They were, they were going to uh, talk about a topic, and he gets Abel out in the field, and what does he do? He murders him. That's, that's what is being referred to here. Thou shalt take him from mine altar, that he may die. Numbers 35, 30, and 31. Whoso kills any person, the murderer shall be put to death by the mouth of witnesses. But one witness shall not testify against any person to cause him to die. Moreover, ye shall take no satisfaction. That's the word for ransom. In other words, nobody should be allowed to have enough money to pay off and get away. All right? Ye shall have no satisfaction for the life of a murderer which is guilty of death, but he shall surely be surely put to death. All right, so murder is a serious thing. What did the law require in those situations? They were to be put to death. All right, so watch as Jesus fulfills what he taught in verses 17 and 18. If you just look back there quickly in the chapter, here's what he said. Again, I didn't come to destroy the law, the idea of annulling it, or the prophets, I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill the complete. Verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be completed, fulfilled. All right, so Jesus is going to do that now. And so he continues, verse 22, But I say unto you, Again, as God, he puts his words on the same level as God's law. And, and, and can I just have you look at the end of the sermon, by the way, and, and we'll, we'll be there later, but in chapter 7, just, just go to the last two verses. Okay, it's significant what Jesus is doing, but I say unto you, Look at chapter 7, verse 28. It came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were, what? Astonished. Okay? And for good reason. At his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Okay. So, Jesus continues with a general statement. Notice verse 22. The general principle, the general statement about deadly anger. Here's what he says. Whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So, someone irritates you. We've already been through that exercise this morning. And you get angry. You're in danger of judgment. It's the same word used in the previous verse, and we've already established that judgment is capital punishment. You're in danger of that. Why? The point is because you are participating in the same sin as if you took a weapon and then destroyed a life. Wow. So the general principle is this. Okay? And then the Lord's going to define it further. The general principle is this. Sinful anger is murder in the heart. When you and I feel a surge, that rush of anger, someone is messing up my schedule today. They're not taking, they're not showing me respect or whatever, however you want to paint it. 
What the Lord is warning is, okay, be careful because you're on the path to murder. You young people, does this apply to you? Oh, sure it does. Sinful, unjustified anger quickly leads to the conclusion life would be easier if that person didn't exist. Is it true? My life would be better if they weren't in it. Jesus wants his listeners to recognize that sinful anger is deserving of the same punishment as murder. What do you think? Is, is the way things happen in the kingdom a little different than how they happen here on earth? Oh, sure. But that's the whole point as kingdom citizens. We need to understand this and be careful. Now, if we truly believe this general principle, we wouldn't even start down the path of anger. If we really believe that this is what Jesus is teaching, and it is, Cain was already angry when God warned him. Remember back in Genesis? He confronts his attitude. Cain, why? your countenance has changed. Why? Now, you just need to obey me. I'll accept your sacrifice if you do it my way. But if you don't listen to me, Cain, sin lies at the door. What was the sin that God was, was warning him about? What was it? It was murder. God knew that in his heart, he had the capacity to destroy his brother's life. But Cain continued down the path. With some Christians, that path is well-worn. I don't think there's anybody in this room that has committed the sin of murder. Unless you understand this text. Wow. Yeah. I can be guilty. Let me rephrase that. I have been guilty. And probably adults, so have you. Kingdom citizens recognize that sinful anger is murder in the heart. Do you recognize that? So Jesus then goes on to explain the specific steps down the path. The general principle, sinful anger, murder. And so, not to commit murder, I have to understand and recognize and believe the general principle, but then the Lord's going to go on and He's going to say, now there are two steps where I will teach you that you're on that path and you're going to commit it. You may not take a life, but you're going to commit it right here. It's just as serious. So, the specific steps to deadly anger. Here's step number one. Anger that is unjustly critical of another's thinking. Again, anger that is unjustly critical of another's thinking. Verse 22, And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka. Now that's a word that expresses contempt, literally in the language, contempt for a man's head. Not because he's ugly, okay? Not talking about that. But the way he thinks. Contempt criticism for a man's head. And so, by saying raka, you're saying to somebody, you fool. Or, maybe I'm going to step on some toes here. You're empty-headed. It's exactly what the word means. So, in our home, growing up, 
or, or as our children were growing up, Renee and I did not let them call each other fools. There's not a good reason to do that. And yet, it'd come out. Or things like, you're empty-headed. Or here's, here's a more common one, you're stupid. That's contempt or criticism for the way someone thinks. And what does the text say? That person is in danger of the council. If you saw that word in the Greek and understood the Greek alphabet, you'd clearly recognize that word council is the word for Sanhedrin. In Jesus' day, if you made those statements to somebody, you're empty-headed. Literally, the Sanhedrin, somebody could overhear that, they could call you in front of that same council that Jesus stood before. And you would be there because they wanted to know, why did you say that? They wanted to establish. Was it because of hate? Or did you have a legitimate reason to say that to them? Because they were doing wrong. Now, to avoid this first step, we must ask ourselves, is what they did, is their thinking, is it sinful, you've heard me say this before, or should love hide it? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought something that was irritating to somebody else, but you didn't mean any malice or wrong by it? You just thought, well, this seems like a good idea. And you got this reaction because maybe it wasn't a good idea. But we can respond that way to others. Boy, we don't like it when people respond that way to us, do we? People don't always think right, and the results show it. But it isn't sinful. A critical, harsh response shows that we have taken this first step that Jesus is warning about. Jesus will later say in Matthew 12, 36, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. It's consistent with what he taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, step one often leads to step two. Step one, anger that is unjustly critical of another's thinking, leads to this step. Step two, anger that has contempt for another person's existence. Again, step two, anger that has contempt for another person's existence. But whosoever shall say, thou fool. Now that's, that's the Greek word more. It's where we get our word, careful, you're a moron. Okay? More a contempt for a man's person or existence. When we say that, okay, you can say fool and just be critical of their thinking, or you can say fool in the sense that, you know what, I, your, you, your existence is, disgusts me. The person that does that shall be in danger of hell fire. See that? <laughs> that word hell is Gehenna. It's the picture of the final place of judgment. You'll remember in the Old Testament, it was the place where King Josiah, when he got rid of all the idols and all the wicked things that were happening in Israel, their, 
the things that they worshipped and so on. He made the valley where they did those things, offered their children as, as fire sacrifices. It was horrible. He made it Jerusalem's garbage dump. But, uh, and it was in that place, the fire doesn't die, and the, and the, uh, or the worm doesn't die, and the fire is not quenched. Disgusting. But that's what it was. Do you know what else they did in that fire pit? They would take the bodies of condemned criminals who had been executed, and they'd dump them in there. That was in the minds of the people that were listening to Jesus as he taught this. So, you say, moray, you're in judgment of hell fire. Anger can quickly move from criticism to disdain. And that, that hate becomes murder in our hearts. Have you ever been so disgusted with someone that you wished them dead? Be honest this morning. Let me ask this. Are you a heaven-bound hater? It's sobering to think that in a place like Good News, there may be saints who need to confess to the Lord the sin of murder that is still in their hearts. Now let me just qualify what we've looked at already. Righteous anger is different in that it attacks the problem while showing grace to the person. Let me say that again. Righteous anger is different in that it attacks the problem while showing grace to the person. It's legitimate to be angry with sin and the effects that it has on a person. But you and I are not to use it to attack the person. And sometimes that's really hard. Attack the sin, not the person. The only exception to this is when someone's sin threatens your life or the life of another. You understand that the scripture does teach self-defense. It allows for that unless you are being threatened because of your faith in Christ. That's when you turn the other cheek. But if somebody tries to get into your home, my home in the middle of the night, the scripture does allow for, God says in his moral law, you can defend yourself. This is especially important for those of you that are in law enforcement. And this is one of the topics that I teach on in our police academy. What, what about an officer that there's that rise of anger and he has to respond to someone who is a threat to themselves or a threat to somebody else? All right, well, he needs to be very careful, she needs to be very careful, and this is why we've had some trouble in this country. They've got to be careful that that anger is used to attack the problem, not the person. But there may be times where that person is a threat to themselves or a threat to somebody else. And so the officer is given, according to Romans 13, sanction authority by God to use force to protect. Now that ought to be clear to the church. What about those of you that are in the military? Same principle. You are given authority by the government that God has established. 
And they give you that authority to go and help. And, and sometimes it involves anger. In fact, they teach you to be that. To attack a problem in the defense of your nation, your fellow military members, all right? And, and sometimes you have to eliminate a threat. And by the way, that goes back to what we saw earlier in the law, right? If somebody takes someone's life unjustly, their life ought to be taken. And so it was right in World War II to eliminate those threats. The other wars that we've been in, but for a Christian... We're able to take the truth of God's word and shed God's light on it. So as kingdom citizens in God's army, we know how to respond correctly in the other ways that he's called us. I hope that helps. So the Lord has shown us the general principle about deadly anger. Sinful anger is murder in the heart, general principle. He's also given us the specific steps to deadly anger. Critical of a person's head, their thinking and then contempt for their very existence. This is why we need to walk with God, so that He controls our passions. So that when I'm tempted to take that first step, I feel that rise and I want to lash out at the person, I'm already talking to God and asking for His deliverance, so I don't even go down that road. And so the Lord will close this portion of His, of his message with <clears throat> in the text with, a third point here, kingdom implications of deadly anger. So how does the rest of the text fit into what we've seen this morning? Just how serious is sinful anger? So the rest of the teaching helps us understand this. First, sinful anger is serious in heaven's court. You realize that the courtrooms on this planet, that's not the real court. Now, it is in the sense that God's given them authority to adjudicate the law, okay, to enforce God's laws, what they should be doing. But all that is just representative of the real courtroom. Now, look at chapter 5, verse 23. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there remember that thy brother hath ought against thee. What's the context? The ought is anger. Verse 24, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother. How do you do that? You confess your sinful anger. Critical spirit. Hateful words. You confess that. Then you can go back, come to the altar, and offer thy gift. So, in a very real sense, we've worshipped the Lord this morning, but if anybody here was worshipping the Lord with hate in their heart towards a brother that expressed itself in, in hateful words, if, if it never got to that point and it was in your heart, then you just need to confess it to God. But if you expressed it to that brother or sister in Christ, if you expressed it to your child, parent, or young person, you expressed it to mom or dad, Honestly, if that has not been confessed to the Lord, the first part of this hour as we worship together, you wasted your time. Wow. Is that what God thinks? It's what He said. Don't offer your gift. Leave it. 
go, make things right, and then come back. God's acceptance of our worship, our praise, our tithes, our offerings, take into account whether there is any sinful, unconfessed anger in our hearts, including whether we went to the brother and sister that we were angry with, said things to, and made it right. Say, well, I've confessed it. Well, have you gone to that brother and sister and made it right? Well, no, I haven't gotten there yet. Leave your gift. Don't worship. You need to be right with God, and you need to be right with them. Just how serious is the matter? Well, the Lord puts it back into a human context to help us see. As you go on in the text, sinful anger is serious in heaven's court, but sinful anger is as serious as if you had violated a neighbor and deserved to be tried in a human court. It's that serious. Verse 25, look. Agree with thine adversary quickly while thou art in the way with him. And he's headed to court. That's the idea. He's going to court. You meet up with him on his way to court. Lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou, hast, and thou be cast into prison. So just like if you wronged your neighbor, and he's going to take you to court, he's going to sue you, he's going to pursue damages, or worse... Meet up with your neighbor, settle that thing. The wise thing is to make that right before it ever gets in the legal system. And, and any thinking person would say, yeah, that makes sense, that's right. But the Lord is using that. We, we'd want to get that settled. Oh, no, I don't want to be sued. I don't want this trouble. We ought to put our relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ that we've been angry with, we need to put that on the very same level, higher and quickly, earnestly go to solve those problems. If you knew you had, been bro you had broken the law against a neighbor, he was on his way to the judge, the smart thing to do would be to go, pay your debt, make it right before the sentence is handed down. Why? Well, if you don't, verse 26, there, is gonna, there are going to be repercussions. There are penalties. All right? So confessing and making sinful anger right with a brother is just as serious as trying to stop a lawsuit that your neighbor is rightfully bringing against you. And so this should be our kingdom view of sinful anger in our hearts. I love the spirit here at Good News. The missionaries a week ago were commenting, Pastor, there's, there's just such a good spirit in the church. And I had to say, praise God. And it's because people are striving here to walk with the Lord. Praise the Lord. But, do you know what's going to kill that spirit? Do you know what's going to make you ineffective in your ability to be salt and light? Helping people who are in darkness? The fastest thing is if you allow sinful anger in your heart. And if it's there today, I hope through the text that the Lord is helping you to see how serious it is and you have got to get it right. Isn't it sobering that citizen kingdom... Uh, um, Kingdom citizens can go years and their worship has been worthless. Scripture also tells us if we regard iniquity in our heart, he doesn't hear us. Their prayer has been worthless. 
which, by the way, you can meet some pretty ornery, irritating Christians. Why? They're not right with the Lord. Because they've been harboring something against someone else, thinking, well, they deserved it, it's their fault. Read the text. The Lord doesn't put it on them. He puts it on my heart. So praise the Lord that he had this text for us coming off a missions conference. If we're going to be light, this has to be dealt with in our hearts, doesn't it? And by the way, I'm thankful that the Lord is giving us this text just before an election. How many people will vote this time? including Christians, because they hate one candidate or another. And by the way, they're saying it. I just hate that guy. I want to vote. Oh, it's really sad. Don't go to Facebook, you'll see it. Christians are doing this. Kingdom citizens acting like they're still in darkness. I hope we have more discernment to that, than that. I hope the love of Christ will be shed abroad in our hearts and we'll, we'll just see things differently than that. So let's close this morning with this question. Are you one of heaven's haters? If you are, can I just plead with you? Go to the Lord and get deliverance from that. Go to the Lord. Let Him deliver you. Let Him give you freedom. But first you need to go to the person that you've been hateful towards, the things that you've said, your, your reactions to them. Get it right and then come to the Lord and make it right. Father, thank you for this text. It's not one that is real pleasant. Uh, Lord, we, we like to go back to the Beatitudes and and see how you want to bless us and make us supremely happy. But Lord, honestly, this is a way someone can be supremely happy, by having a heart that's free from this guilt and this hate. And Lord, I pray today that if there's any believer here, where Lord, as, as we've been looking at this text, you brought a face to their mind, that Lord, they just be honest and humble, be poor in spirit, and Lord, go to that person, make it right, and then go to you to be right. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org, or call us at 757 757- We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and God's Word has had an impact on your life, as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.